Podnose Presents features one-off specials, limited series, and pilot episodes as part of Podnose, the UK's leading independent entertainment podcasting network. For episode archives of Podnose Presents and all of the shows on the network, visit us at www.podnose.com. You can also follow us on Twitter via at Podnose or send us an email via admin at podnose.com. From 2013 to 2015, there was a television series. A television series unlike any other of its kind. Although, granted, there are a number of psychological horrors, psychological thrillers, crime thrillers, and by extension crime dramas out there in the ether, this one stood out. A number of reasons. Firstly, it was on NBC, a channel not necessarily known for its gritty edge, certainly not in the way that this show laid it on the line terms of gore, blood, but not just gore and blood. There was a beauty to it, an art. Every single aspect of this show was sublime in its own beautiful, stunning, perfected way. From the acting, to the music, to the sound design, to the set design, to the clothes, to every aspect, editing, production, direction, every single piece of the puzzle made this one of the best shows I've certainly ever seen, as is my guest. The writing. The writing is a key factor here, because although it is not its own original series, say, one that has come out of nowhere, no, this has been going for a long time. This show evolved from a series of novels by a man called Thomas Harris. It began with Red Dragon, which introduced the world to the lead character, a man called Hannibal Lecter. In this two-part series, my guest and I will be discussing Hannibal, the television series that blew our minds away. How so? Well, that's what we'll be discussing shortly. But first, I must introduce my guest. His name is Kelvin. Hello. Hello there. Hello, it's uh, Kelvin here. Uh, Nice to be with you and uh, looking forward to talking about Hannibal with you. Hello, yes, anyway, so uh, yeah, I also love Hannibal, I should probably make that pretty clear. It'd be a pretty awful way to have this conversation if, if I didn't like it. But uh, yeah, it's a fantastic show, probably, I, I, I mean, it's one of those things that you can say and sort of get a bit get a bit carried away, but I almost feel like it might be my favourite show ever. Uh, I, I mean, you've got you've to gotta be careful saying things like that, that's a big statement, but it really did affect me, I really did love that show. I find that I either know people who love the series or I know people who haven't seen the series. I don't know anyone who's explicitly watched it right through and gone, don't like that. It doesn't seem to be that middle ground. Well, I, I think... 
No, I think that's true. But I think the only I think the thing with the with the show is because it didn't it what it never it never got did great right well, it didn't do very good ratings at all uh, to the extent that, it, that it's been cancelled. So it obviously did, it never did grab uh, like a, a large audience. But I think a big part of that was that the show is is so extreme in so many ways. Do you know what I mean? Yes. It's so extreme in the writing, in the way the characters talk, in the in the personalities of the characters. I mean, you've got a central character who is an unbelievable, uh, an unbelievably extreme personality. I mean, I would go so far as to say that that Will Graham is is a harder character uh, to portray than Hannibal is because I mean, you you think that a character like Hannibal would be the the hardest. Part of you know the most difficult part in that in the show, but I, I genuinely think that that Hugh Darcy, Hugh Darcy has got the hardest job in the show because it's such a difficult character to get right. Do you know, you know, because he's so extreme. Yes, and there's a wonderful sense of ambiguity throughout in terms of not only his thoughts and his motivations, but also, of course, his relationship with Hannibal as the series goes on. And whereas Hannibal initially, certainly, if you've got a background knowledge to the point of Anthony Hopkins and Silence of the Lambs and the novels. You have a general idea of the character, but Mads Mikkelsen brings something a little bit different to it in that there's a, there's an element of, appropriately enough, given that it's Will Graham's uh, talent or, or curse, uh, empathy. And it's, it's a strange place to be in, because I certainly know that there was a whole audience who kind of followed or considered their bromance uh, not, not a not a term i'm particularly fond no. of but never <laughs> but uh, but there is certainly um an undertone there absolutely uh, i mean that's the thing uh, hannibal isn't a a typical i don't think the word sociopath is really used nowadays but uh, ultimately he isn't a typical sociopath or psychopath anyway he has and he does have a degree of empathy for 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 people for for certain people he clearly does have empathy and some level of emotional connection to will and even i mean i i think there is a degree of emotional connection to characters like alana and and jack do you know what i mean there, there, there is a connection there between them it clearly doesn't preclude his desire to kill or or potentially kill them or whatever there, there is that part of it as well but it, it isn't a clear-cut case of he feels nothing for these people he feels nothing for anyone do you know what i mean which is the which is your typical serial killer thing both in both in real life and in 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 films and stuff is a character who feels nothing for people doesn't see people as people there's a standing tagline uh, throughout the series eat the rude and that definitely stands out because if you consider certainly if you look at the film hannibal all the people who get it all the people who get eaten or get killed or damaged in any capacity in the film hannibal um, I don't want to say deserve it, but they're all given an opportunity to walk away, but they're all too greedy. All I too think that rude. is the key thing, isn't it? Because it is, that is definitely more noticeable in the films and the books as well than the series. Although it is obviously true in the series, he prefers to eat the rude. I mean, I, I think the line even says that in the, in the series, although it's taken from the books, about he prefers to eat the rude where, where possible. Um, yeah. 
it that is not in the in the series it isn't quite as clear cut as that and a lot of the things he does are to protect himself are to uh, you know he kills people out of curiosity a lot of the time or he does or he does things you know things which would be considered very intensely cruel or, or sadistic he he does them out of a curiosity as much as he does them out of justice being served or whatever you want to say I mean it's not even that it's not even quite that in the films but it, it's never it's never as simple as he kills these people because they are obnoxious basically whereas in the films it is certainly certainly in the later films like Hannibal and Red Dragon it, it is definitely more a case of he kills these people because they offend him basically which and I like, I like the fact that that isn't the case in the series it feels like the character in the series is a more varied character. Is a is is you know he's a richer character because there is more to him than just that one aspect that drives him. There are multiple different motivations, multiple different reasons that he does the things that he does. Yeah, and there are plenty of opportunities throughout the series where he won't necessarily take responsibility for things that he has necessarily undertaken. For example, there's a moment when he bears witness to another man's artistic murder, really. Uh, the, At the start if you remember, of the series, what, uh, series two, the, with the, the eye of bodies, you mean? Yes, the eye of bodies. And, you know, he goes, I, I like your work. <laughs> you know, and it's, it's all very tongue-in-cheek. Uh, but then manipulates the man to sew himself into the work. Yes. The creator of it. And then another but that's because time... because I think, I think that is because that is how Hannibal feels the image would be complete. He, it, it's, he appreciates what this guy has done, and he's not doing that out of in any form. There's no, it's not cruelty or savagery there. He, he wants the guy to become part of his work because Hannibal feels that is, that is how you complete the work. Yeah. That he feels he, that is the natural conclusion to the work. He's not doing that out of, out of because the guy is rude or anything like that. He's doing it because artistically Hannibal sees that as the, as the culmination of the image. Yeah, if you're, going to, if you're going to go that far and commit to something, you may as well commit to the end. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. So in, with that in mind, I mean, if you look at Dr. Chilton, who throughout the series really is something of a, a very darkly comic foil... There was a running gag, I believe, that in the series that they loved the actor so much and they loved the performance he gave that every time he thought he was dead, they'd bring him back just slightly more damaged than before. Yes. <laughs> Which he, really is... does, he really does get the bad end of the stick, that guy. He, uh, I don't think any character... I mean, to the extent where, by the end, by the end of series three, I, I mean, I don't even know how you could possibly feel any sense of satisfaction in what happens to him because obviously there is in in all kinds of film you know all kind of genre uh, tv and films there is that thing of the uh, there is a, a slight sense of satisfaction when the villain gets it you know when the when the bad even even in the original uh, even in something like the the books or you know the film science of the lands for example when chilton dies at the end there is the knowledge well he was an absolute bastard throughout the whole film and the whole book so there is a kind of sense of satisfaction in it, a kind of a catharsis or whatever you want, however you want to describe it. Whereas 
the, that by the end, by the end of series three of Hannibal, I don't even feel that anymore. You know, there is no satis, there is no kind of sick satisfaction or or anything like that at the fact that he is suffering in any way because what is happening to him is so disproportionate to his personality. You know, it's so out of kilter with what he does wrong that the kind of suffering he endures is just is unbelievable, really. And Will Graham sets him up. It does, which is a very odd moment and one which maybe we should come back to, because I think it symbolises such a huge jump in the character for me, that moment, more so than almost any other moment. I think there are two moments which identify the real shift in Will Graham's character, and they both happen very late in the series, rather than what you would expect, whereas, I mean, there is obviously a lot of stuff that happens earlier on throughout, throughout all three of the series of him slowly becoming more like Hannibal, slowly becoming more manipulative, slowly becoming more pragmatic in how he uses people and misleads people, and even derives some sense of pleasure on some level from either killing or nearly killing people or seeing people he doesn't like suffer. That is obviously all there throughout throughout all the three series, becoming more and more uh, evident. But that moment, it's a very odd moment, that, at the very end there, where, where he actually gets Chilton to effectively, he almost, I mean, it's never clear how, how, how much he intends for that to happen. I mean, he obviously doesn't know that exact thing's going to happen to Chilton, but it's never clear how much he thinks is going to happen or exactly what he thinks is going to happen as a result of him getting Chilton into that picture with him. Do you reckon, and this is a completely hypothetical scenario, but do you reckon it had a, had a season four, do you reckon they would have brought back the character sort of slowly recovering or just who, like, who, um, Chilton. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I'm certainly would. In fact, I'd be a. Ma- in fact, I'm sure that Brian Fuller has himself said that if they did, he would like to have seen Chilton doing the kind of dialogue, the, the flirty uh, dialogue that he was doing in Silence of the Lambs. He would have liked to have seen him like that, but hideously deformed. So you'd have seen the Chilton from Silence of the Lambs, but covered in, uh, presumably, uh, deforming. Skin grafts, basically. Uh, yeah, he's in fact, in in a way, that that kind of evolution would would completely justify his bitterness and his bastardness that is portrayed in the films. If I, I think uh, there's even a tease of that in his final scene uh, in series three, where he says to I think it's to Alana, and he says about how he would love to have Hannibal's skin as, as part of his graft, and I think even that hints at what they may have done in that next series, where perhaps he became more of a maybe even an outright villain of the piece. You know, maybe he would actually try and get Hannibal killed. Maybe he would try and manipulate events more. Almost becoming an almost sort of like a Verger character, you know, like a Mason Verger character. Um, I mean, obviously, they'd have to have been careful not to have done the exact same thing, but I do suspect that there may have been something that he would have perhaps become more outright malicious in those if they, if they had continued to, you know, continued on from that point. I also think that's the big question, though, is that with, with Hannibal as well, you know, if he teaches someone a lesson and they survive that lesson, if they basically are either too damaged to return to Hannibal or they basically are left in fear and, and they leave him alone, is the theory that he, you know, that he would leave them be? Or is it the fact that they, like Chilton and, and certainly Verger, are relentless and they're like, no, we want revenge, and so... Uh, either directly or indirectly, they get screwed over again in the process. I mean, of course, one of the uh, one of the elements that I kind of liked in season three, for example, is the fact that all the damaged people gather together uh, for all different motives and different reasons and different uh, expectations of outcome. 
granted, uh, Chilton, Bloom, Verger, they all come together. They want to get Hannibal. And, and yet at the same time, I mean, for example, if, if you look at going back to what we're saying about how Hannibal is actually strangely generous um, with his psychopathic tendencies, as it were. Mm. For example, when Chilton is set up by Hannibal in terms of the death of Dr. Abel Gideon, played by Eddie Izzard, it's a very elaborate scene, a, a very kind of beautiful in terms of the way he's set him up. And Although a classic example of Hannibal logic. That I mean, that is... the. the the show has, is, is a fantastic show. I've already said it. It's up there, if not my favourite show ever. It's certainly up there. It's, it's right at the top. But there are problems with the show. And one of the problems with the show is that it, it does rely on huge leaps of logic. And one moment is that. But, I mean, that moment is absurd. That he that the police turn up at the exact moment, or that he should know that the FBI, rather, are going to turn up at that exact moment. That framing Chilton for the murder of the FBI and of Gideon would work out that way because the, the, he doesn't know the FBI are going to be there or, or rather if he does there's no way he could have known they were going to be there at that moment do you know what I mean? Yeah I, They turn up for some they turn up because they uh, because Jack starts to suspect that there's something going on with Chilton so they turn up there and then of course Hannibal just happens to know that it's all working out exactly at that moment and then does everything to, to make it look like that do you, know what, do you see what I mean? And Hannibal d- does kind of give Chilton what he wants He Chilton wants to get into the mind of a killer Yes so he goes, all right, then, <laughs> take this. Well, I think ultimately Hannibal is driven by, well, obviously a number of things. Pragmatism is a, is a part of it, but there is also, because clearly he's doing that to, to distract the, the attention away from himself, but there is also the simple fact that it, he likes sort of, he likes poetic justice or a sense of, a sense of sort of artistry in doing something. He likes it. He like he has a sense of irony. You know what I mean. He he appreciates that Chilton should receive, uh, should get insight into the mind of a killer. Should be seen. Should get the fame he desires. He he that kind of irony is 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 pleasant. Is exciting to him. He's excited by that kind of dramatic irony. I suppose. Yeah, yeah. He, he, the way that Hannibal reacts to certain behaviour and certain actions and, and certain crime scenes certainly indicates his motivations. For example, in the first season, you have a moment where there's this wonderfully grotesque man who makes strings for violins with the organs of his victims. Mm-hmm. And he is friends with one of Hannibal's patients, Franklin. And Franklin, I believe Hannibal feels bad for Franklin because Franklin wants to be Hannibal's friend and Hannibal is aware that the fellow psychopath is basically waiting to kill Franklin mm-hmm. and Hannibal gives him mercy Hannibal breaks Franklin's neck in a very undignified manner because he he doesn't want to give the fellow psychopath the Satisfaction. I was just about to say, it's I, I don't know if there's any mercy there, really. I think it's a case of he wants to rob the other killer of the satisfaction. It wants to go, what's the other killer's name? What's, is it, it, uh, what's the guy's name? I, I don't I know. I can't remember. Well, anyway, whatever his name is, uh, he, he want, Hannibal wants to rob that killer of 
the satisfaction of finally getting a chance to kill Franklin, which is what he's been wanting to do. So even that, is, it, there's a degree of sadism in there. He he is doing it to derive somebody else of pleasure. He's he's doing it to upset, to anger or frustrate the other guy. And I, I mean, I I think it, it's so obvious throughout the whole series that Hannibal's. I would almost say most fundamental motivation is making the most of every moment. Do you know what I mean? Every mm. single thing he does, the way he eats, the way he he inter- you know, he he is with other people, the way he uh, and, and man- manipulates them and to to derive pleasure from those people, um, the way that he he orchestrates his murders, the way that he he carries out these things with such artistry, every, and of course the as I say, the food, the music, everything that he does, he wants to live to the absolute fullest, make the absolute most of every single moment and every single experience. He doesn't want any experience to be subpar, basically. And I think that's the wider idea of killing off anything that's ugly or, or uh, offensive to him. Hannibal, the series, I think more so than the, the, certainly more than the films, captures the idea that, and of course that's because it has more time to do that, but it captures the idea that... Hannibal isn't just trying to get rid of people because he's some kind of a moral arbiter of what you know what's right and wrong, and I want to get rid of people that are offensive or ugly. But it's it's a deeper it's something deeper than that. It is that he finds he finds these things ugly, and they intrude on his experience of trying to make the absolute most out of every single moment, every single experience. You know, yeah, yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, well, I mean, I I would also say that when he does find himself feeling something he's not used to, it motivates his actions further. For example, in that same episode where Franklin has his neck broken and Hannibal and the violin man, as we'll call him, uh, (laughs) get into a... Uh, get get into a fight. It's also no, not violent. Bass, ba- ba- bass. I'm a bass man. No, bass man. Scat man. Let's call him Scat man. No, let's um, not call him Scat man. That's a very different serial killer. Be ba- 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 da- bo- <laughs> Yeah, he's he's dead. Um, anyway, so the well, he is 1998. Um, anywho, so the Hannibal, uh, the scene where Hannibal and uh, the musical man, the music, the musical murderer, <laughs> the musical man, right, yes. I am the music man. Oh, God, we're getting to Rusty Goff, music man. <laughs> so when Hannibal and the music man have a fight to the death, essentially, and uh, the music man dies, it's partially out of the fact that at that point, Hannibal is under the belief that Will has been killed by the music man. That's true, yes. Mm. And that whole episode really is about the concept of friendship and what it means to have a friend. And there's kind of a very, very sweet moment when Hannibal is all buddied and bruised uh, after his uh, fight with the music man and in his office and Will appears and there's a real sense of relief between the two of them. Yes. And uh, there's something that's that's sort of for me the first kind of real development of their of their friendship in the series is is the indication that they there is a mutual uh, not even respect at this point but mutual uh caring there's a yes. they, they they care about each other you actually touch on something there which which actually really i would say gets the root of what it is i love about the show so much which is that the show has so many different layers to it with with uh in that first series but also obviously throughout the second and third series although in a slightly different way a plot a story uh, and a character does not just 
fit as a character in a plot, but also as a wider sort of a thematic uh, you know, there's a, a kind of a wider thematic point that they're making with it. So in the first uh, first series, it tends to be on an episode by episode basis. That each episode, uh, and also certainly the first half of the second uh, the, the second series is like this as well, where each murder kind of captures, or, or each plot rather captures a wider theme about the characters or the the you know the overarching story between them all. So you have, as you say, an episode which is about um, Franklin wanting to be friends with Hannibal, which is touched on in several episodes, that you get that sense that he's trying to become friendly with him. But we obviously, that is not just a case of, well, that's a character that wants to be friends with Hannibal. It is, in a wider sense, it's, it kind of is representative of, well, what is it about this guy that, that it does not make him suitable to be friends with Hannibal versus what is it that makes Will so suitable to be friends? So it, it's by showing you one character, what you can see, you get a better understanding of one of the main core characters. And I love that about the show, that all the way through it, plots, kind of, whether it's the murders, the murderers, the killers, or just, you know, various plot points throughout them, I love the fact that they represent something bigger than themselves uh, throughout everything, you know, throughout the whole show, that's the case. Yeah, I mean, there are examples of other series such as Six Feet Under, Nip Tuck. Yeah, that's absolutely uh, true, yeah. Dexter, where they kind of have a case of the week which further reflects their own, the, the main character's own emotive circumstances. Yes. I would say, as a side note, House did it far too slowly for my liking. But <laughs> well, it changes in the second and third series of Hannibal. It does shift away from it being on a on a on a kind of each episode having a different sort of thematic point, as it were. That's very true of the first series, where it's almost episode by episode. That's the, you know that's the case. Whether it's like Georgia Madsen in the first series, the girl who who doesn't doesn't have a sense of identity, and it becomes about. Will, what's his sense of identity? It, uh, and or in the second series, they do the one with um, there's the woman with the uh, putting uh, she's lobotomizing people and giving them things so that they became basically you know just walk around in a stupor, they're, they're basically lost any sense of personality or anything like that. She's being she's she's killing them mercifully, basically, and yeah. that of course reflects everything that's going on with with, with Jack's wife and it. It's um, it's those kind of things that I really like about the show because it gives you a it it allows you to understand the characters without the characters themselves having to necessarily express what they're trying to you know what it is about them that they that the, the show is trying to tell you. Do you know what I mean? They can they can tell you much more about characters without even having to specifically articulate it about the character, and I love that. So. Yeah, each character appears to have a relationship that essentially forms the bigger picture of the the unification of a family, the concept of family. Everyone is everyone has something missing in their in their lives in the series in some shape or form. Yeah. They all have a desire that they can't reach, they all have a, a, a an itch they can't scratch. It's I mean, Hannibal and Will and the concept of having a family uh, with Abigail as their daughter, for example, which is leads to uh, one of the best scenes of anything I've ever seen. Probably, the, well, the best episodes of anything I've ever seen. Uh, the final episode of season two, which essentially is the, the moment of truth uh, where Hannibal is finally, much to everyone's 
very tragic circumstances, Hannibal is finally seen for what he is by the other characters. And Hannibal is clearly devastated at the betrayal that leads to this circumstance because at the same... But at the same time, the revelation, for example, that Abigail, the Abigail being the... uh, For the benefit of those who uh, need to be reminded, but Abigail in the very first episode of the very first series of Hannibal is the daughter of a man who has been basically murdering these young women and cannibalizing them, uh, very much influenced by his hunting abilities, um, his killing of deer and, and stag and stags and so forth. And it becomes entirely apparent that his daughter, Abigail was a part of this in some shape or form. And that basically Abigail just about survives her throat being cut by her father, who is then subsequently shot by Will. And Will and Hannibal ultimately have Abigail as this surrogate daughter, uh, this this symbolism of responsibility uh, for, for both of them. And is, yeah, I mean, obviously Hannibal has a deep motivation there anyway, because, of course, he, he lost his sister. We don't know the exact circumstances, but we do know that uh, he ended up eating her. Not actually, uh, I just made this connection, but actually the fact that he ate his sister, presumably through choice in this continuity, in the TV continuity, that is actually very similar to what happened. That is uh, to Garrett Hobbs. That is very similar because Garrett Hobbs eats people, or eats the girls in sort of, in, in worship of them, in kind of adoration of them, in the same way that he clearly is obsessed and adores his daughter. So actually, uh, even though... In those early episodes, it's almost as a contrast to Hannibal, because Hannibal does not do that. Hannibal eats people out of contempt, whereas, uh, or, or rather because he doesn't see them as people, he just sees them as objects and animals, as, as they describe them. Whereas Garrett, uh, Jacob Hobbs actually eats people, uh, in effect, because he, he he's paying homage to his daughter. Actually, you- that not that dissimilar to what Hannibal has presumably done to his sister, because Hannibal... It's certainly implied that Hannibal did not... Well, he actually outright says that he didn't kill his sister, but he did eat her. And I, there is nothing to hint that he was he was made to eat his sister in the way that he was in the books or Hannibal Rising, which is a terrible film. It's a terrible book as well. <laughs> but it, yeah. it, uh, but it, 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 it is, it's more implied that he actually chose to eat her, so presumably he found her dead or murdered or whatever, and then ate her in a similar sense of... Because he adored her, because he he wanted to 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 be part of her, he wanted her inside him. Um, so actually, it isn't actually quite as dissimilar as perhaps it, it initially seems in those first two series. Now, d- now, does this relate in part to two factors? First of all, the way that Hannibal essentially frames Will uh, at the end of season one and, and throughout the first part of season two. Uh, Will chokes on chokes up an ear, which uh, we later find out further down the line that uh, was cut off by Hannibal of Abigail, uh, who was very much alive. But Will is all about empathy. He's able to empathize with these killers. And this is what Hannibal wants him to feel. Uh, Hannibal wants him to feel like Hannibal. Yes, absolutely. And yeah, and and so by extension, like you said, you've just sort of uh, given me a thought as well that uh, the concept, uh, therefore, when he wants to, he makes a decision in season three that he's going to have to eat Will at one point. Mm. 
his decision in that respect, do you reckon probably close is closer to our assumption in his decision necessarily to eat Mishka, his, his yeah, sister? Yeah, in fact, he definitely is. In fact, they even, I would, I feel, I'm certain they even go so far as to actually articulate that, in fact, they do, because... Um, What's her name? The um, the woman who's with him at the time. Bedelia. I'm a few. The problem is, <laughs> I'm a few months out of having watched it now, so I'm, a couple of the names and stuff are out of my head. Uh, yes, Bedelia. So, um, so yes, at that point, Bedelia actually says to him, "You only forgave your sister by eating her," because he effectively he uh, he actually because again in that scene he uh, it's hinted out that he obviously did it through choice that he ate her because he says that he he ate her. Because she, she, I can't remember exact wording, but she sort of seduced him or he, she tempted him. So there was obviously some kind of desire there that made him want to consume her after after her death, basically, and or after finding her dead or murdered, I presume. And and then Bedelia explains that you only forgave her for what she did to you because. You ate her, so you need to do the same as she... I mean, she's at that point, clearly everything Bedelia is doing at that stage is trying to manipulate Hannibal to come back into action, to, to do what, what she wants to see him do, effectively. Yeah, so she does clearly articulate that, yes, you've got to... You need to, to eat Will Graham if you want to forgive him in the way that you forgave your sister for, in effect seducing you or not I don't I mean I don't mean that literally sexually but uh clearly in some level there was some kind of desire there or 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 you know something that drew him that he was obsessed with her about her now given that um Bedelia was in on the plane with Hannibal at the end of season 2 now obviously Hannibal didn't necessarily know that initially that that was how it was going to turn out. His plan was to go off with Will and surprise him with Abigail and they were going to go off together. Now, do you believe Bedelia was the other part of that family unit? And do you reckon do you reckon Bedelia would have essentially been part of that family either way were it, were it not to have gone down in the way that it did at the end of season 2? No. I think I think Bedelia there is a part of Bedelia, well, clearly Bedelia wants to be as in, I don't want to say she wants to be as important to Hannibal as Will is to, to Hannibal, but she clearly wants to understand him or, or have that, a connection to him with, with him. But there's obviously another part of her which clearly doesn't want that because she knows that, that that leads to disaster, basically. And she does obviously know she wants to get out at some point. But there is obviously some part of her that's effectively envious of, of Will. But I don't think either she or Hannibal ever truly believe that she could fill that a kind of a mother role or sister role or anything like that because Hannibal doesn't respect her in the way that he respects Will. He does. I think there is a degree of respect there. I don't think he would have taken her with her otherwise. But he, again, he is. I think more interested in her than he is actually. Then he actually likes her, do you know what I mean? Whereas I think he actually likes Will, whereas I don't think Hannibal likes Bedelia all that much. And I also think that, and equally on Bedelia's part, Bedelia is fascinated by Hannibal and she kind of wants to see, there's a part of her that wants to see the dark side of him, this awful side of him, and and, try, and she's always kind of trying to tease it out to her in her own clumsy way. But, I'm not entirely clumsy, sometimes it's quite successful, but... Uh, she also obviously does not want to be with him permanently. She clearly wants to get out at 
before the, before she's eaten because she knows he wants to eat her. She knows that she wants that she, at some point he's going to turn on her, so she has to get out. So I don't and think seemed- either party there. I don't think either party there really believe that they they uh, that, that that it can be a long term thing there. Yeah, there's not a huge sense of trust between them. I mean, there's no. a, there's a certain ambiguity that is that it's interesting as well. The one of the themes certainly throughout the series is the element of ambiguity versus honesty. And I do believe Hannibal, when he says you you have my word, he means it absolutely. Uh, and and I, for example, if Alana at the end of season two, Alana Bloom, Doctor Alana Bloom, who at this point uh, they've been. Uh, not just colleagues, but romantically involved. Uh, she's also been, of course, romantically involved with Will uh, by this point. She is given the option to walk away. And we know that she's not because that's she's not a morally ambiguous character. She, no. is, a, she is a good character. And... It, that bit, that is. A, a I always think Alana gets a bit of a raw, a bit of a bad rap, actually, because I've heard her criticised by people a lot, especially in those first two series of having no personality. But actually, it's not she doesn't have a personality. She is a strong character, I think. She's. It's just that she is. She's probably the most order or the most normal of the the characters. It's not that she's a badly written character or even a character lacking a personality. She's just the one with the most functional personality. And it's only when that she becomes damaged yeah. physically and mentally by Hannibal that her motivations become a little bit more Absolutely. ambiguous. She she has in those first two series her I suppose I don't want to call it a limitation, but her I suppose in the context of who she's dealing with, her limitation is that she is or her blind spot is that she is too optimistic about humanity. She is too positive about finding the good in people or, or that people, you know, trusting of people. Whereas of course by the third series she is she is a changed woman. She is. She has seen what happens when she puts trust in people, where she has faith in people. The two people that she did that well, the three people, if you include, you know, Jack as well. So you've got Jack, Will, and Hannibal have all done things by that point, which basically completely and utterly offend her, or, or whether it's trying to kill her or or uh, put her at risk or someone else at risk. Will obviously tried to have Hannibal killed, which at that stage when she thought Hannibal was uh, was a a good person at that point clearly that tarnished will in her eye uh, view against uh, against him and and everything that jack does by misleading all by manipulating all these people so openly to her she hates that so all these people have shown her by the end of series two that she's wrong to have put, put trusted but i mean <laughs> she's not wrong to have put trust in people but in the context of her character she has and uh, and by by series three that's that's She's a different person. She's a changed person. She's a much more ruthless person. She's a much less trusting person. She's a lot more willing to to to, to manipulate herself. But she's still, at her heart, a decent person. I mean, uh, she does try and save Will and Hannibal's lives. She doesn't want to have them killed by Verger. She intends to hand them over to the FBI when Verger finally gets them back. But obviously that all goes, goes out the window when, when it doesn't quite work out that way. But... That is what she wants to do, but she. But in order to achieve that end, she is much more willing to use underhand means than she ever was before, and obviously is a lot less trusting and much more contemptuous of everyone around her by that point because she's she's been she's seen what happens when when she puts faith in in the people around her. Yeah, I, I would say that she begins the series as not a blank canvas, but certainly a canvas that can be influenced. Uh, and uh, and enhanced and by the third 
season that Canvas has been thrown completely, literally, been yeah. completely thrown out of the window. Um, I think she needs to be... I, th- I, th- I think the problem is that she... I don't believe that she's a bad character or that she lacks a personality or anything. It's just that she she has to be the counterpoint to all of these other dysfunctional characters. She is the character who who is reliable. She is the character who is likeable, who is a decent person, who is a good person, so that you can then see you know, reflected against her, what are, are Will's weaknesses? Where are he, Where is he weak? Where she is is actually much stronger than him. You know, she's a much stronger character. Um, and I, I, I just, I, I feel bad <laughs> that, uh, that she gets a bit of a bum rap because she's not as interesting a character. That's ultimately what it comes down to. She's not as interesting as the other characters because she's not as dysfunctional. But she's not a bad character. She's, she's well written and she's, she's a, a believable character. She's not, I don't believe she's one dimensional. She's just... A solid. The, the the problem with the character is that, or from the point of view of dramatic purposes, she's she's a she's the solid, reliable one, and that means that she's not as entertaining or as interesting. I mean, I I like her. I would say that in season three, certainly something we should get onto as well is, of course, uh, clothes and style and her color scheme changes dramatically well it changes to be more three. like Hannibal. It has to be said. <laughs> Everything yeah. by series three clearly both as a character to rep to sort of show how much of a change her character is they they i mean i suppose you could say it's laid on a little thick but ultimately to show how much she has changed and how she has become more like hannibal in a sense although not, not really that much like hannibal but certainly in certain ways she's more like hannibal in how she manipulates people and 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 sort of plays people off each other she at that stage is more has more qualities in common with hannibal and they and they reflect that in what she wears yeah, and there is a real effort made in these little visual styles that they have in terms of the clothes, in terms of the set pieces, in terms of the food, of course. And, yeah, I think that, that gives the series something a little bit more than what other series do for their characters, for their scenes, for their settings. Yeah. Well, I, I say think... absolutely. I mean, I can't believe, really, when you think about it. I mean, I have no idea how much they spend on that show. But, like... Uh, it, it looks better than every other show. I can't think of a single show that looks better than Hannibal. It is the most gorgeous show on television, bar none, as far as I'm concerned. Every single shot, or certainly in those first two series uh, and, and the first half of the third series, looks stunning. It is yeah. absolutely stunning. And it's a way that they use every single aspect like you say they use the color they use the lighting they use the the framing of the shots they use every single thing to capture the themes of the episode of the show of the of a car- of what's going on in the characters lives at that time and so it, it's so much more ambitious you know so many cl- uh, programs and I appreciate this is obviously in partly down to time and almost entirely down to time and money they do not have the uh, uh, you know they can't spend as much time and money on making all of the every single shot count but for whatever reason they they have managed to do it with Hannibal and and it is it pays off so it's just it's such an amazing show to look at but i like the fact that it isn't just superficial it actually it, everything they have done visually means something on a character level on a dramatic level on a thematic level and that that is what's so good about it for me personally, I love to watch series like this with people who haven't seen them and see how they react to them. 
and I would love to be in a cinema. This is a perfect example of a of a series that deserves to be deserves to be in a cinema, to yeah. be seen in a cinema. And I've actually on a, a number of occasions tried to contact the Prince Charles Cinema via their Facebook page and Twitter and so forth. Uh, they've done it before. They've done it with Breaking Bad. They've done it with Veronica Mars. They should have a Hannibal Fest on the big screen, and I would I'd love to sit in an audience uh, predominantly with hopefully people who haven't seen it before who are kind of going in it uh, not really knowing what to expect and i'd love to see their reactions i would love to see not just their reactions but also how cinematically effective hannibal looks on a bigger screen and i i I mean it's not just i mean that's the thing is that i think we both agree that every aspect of hannibal makes it perfect and not just visually, of course, the music by Brian Reitzel. Yeah. Uh, he has this wonderful ability, I've been told, to coax uh, various retired or semi-retired artists back into the fray uh, to get involved with various projects. I know that he, he did that with, when involved uh, with the soundtrack to Lost in Translation and, and also the soundtrack to the TV series Boss, for example. In Hannibal, he he got Mark Ullman to mm-hmm. record... Yeah. Uh, a new a new piece and of course Susie Sue who yes. provides one of the most fantastic pieces of music I've heard in a yeah, very it's long brilliant. time it's a great piece of music yeah. and uh, I, I remember a review saying it was it was for the vote for those who haven't heard it right through I mean you can download it in its entirety on iTunes now but it's called Love Crime mm-hmm. by Susie Sue and yeah it's someone described it, it it's as if Susie Sue was asked to have recorded a Bond theme. <laughs> this is this is what it would have sounded like, and I kind of agree. It, yeah, it does it is, have yeah. that sweeping kind of uh, orchestral vibe about it, which is just it's like a it's, it's really a love song, isn't it? It's such a such a weird. I mean, that whole scene that it plays over is such a weird scene. Really, it's such a mm. bizarre the way they're looking at each other as they as they as they kill the uh, dollar hide at the end there, <clears throat> and the way they're looking at each other and sort of. Uh, relishing the moment and it, it is it's it is like a it feels like a sex scene which is such a bizarre thing to say about such a uh, a a violent and horrific scene really but i suppose i mean it is ultimately the consummation of their of their relationship for for better or worse so it's a choreographed dance scene essentially and it's interesting that you mention sex scene because the two sex scenes I believe the only two sex scenes that spring to mind in Hannibal are both involving Alana. Uh, Alana with Hannibal and Alana with Margot, Mason Verge's sister. Mm -hmm. And perhaps that's a very intentional parallel because with Hannibal, it's very much a case of Hannibal is the dominant figure. Hannibal has all the cards. Uh, And we know that. She doesn't know that. But with... Alana and Margot, it's a far more unified solidarity. It's its far more equal. And I like the way that that was... I don't want to say performed, but it, I like the way that that was staged uh, visually in terms of the kaleidoscope Yeah, I was, was going to say, it's, it looks like a kaleidoscope, doesn't it? So it's, it is, I mean, as always with this show, they never do anything... They never do anything ordinarily. Actually, I'm just thinking there is another love. There is another sex scene. There's one with between Dollarhide and Reba. Yes, there's a, a scene. Although it ends, uh, it ends with some incredibly 
bad CGI, but other than that, the actual main, the actual sequence itself is is good again. Although again, that I mean that third, that last part of series three, basically the whole Red Dragon art, Red Dragon art, you can tell that they didn't have as much money at that stage. Because they yeah. had their budget cut by that point, and you can, and it shows, I think, because the show is a lot less ambitious in how it visualizes things and how it how it portrays things. You know, the the whole it it becomes a lot more functional. I mean, really, the the big visual moments in uh, in the latter half series three, the Red Dragon arc, are all around the Red Dragon, and they're much more on the nose. I think. I mean, I don't particularly like the way they do the Red dragon vision you know as in i, I don't mean the, I, I like the, the arc but i don't like when you actually see the red dragon depicted literally as a physical dragon there and then right in front of you i don't mind it if it's like glancing shots and stuff there's moments like that which i don't mind but i don't like it when you see it right on because firstly the cgi isn't amazing but also i think it's a bit on the nose whereas hannibal has always been so good at being more sort of metaphorical you know it's something like the the raven stag or the uh, the windigo or any of these kind of visual the you know these visual monsters or creatures or whatever they are symbolic of a of a of a something that's going on within a character or a certain theme that the show is trying to do or whatever and but they don't necessarily represent one thing in a kind of a literal way you know do you know, do you know what i mean yeah i I think certainly with those other murderers throughout the series, I think the fact that it had a benefit of having certain murderers and certain killers and certain criminals displayed throughout the first two seasons in such a way that kind of almost just dedicating that to one killer at the end of the third season with uh, the Red Dragon, of course, uh, um, Dolarahide. How, how do you say it? Dolarahide. Dollarhide. I, I always think, because when I see it written, I always think it's formaldehyde. <laughs> yes, um, he does. But, he yeah, does it, it, when he signs his name, that's what they always think he's written. It's, uh, well, I mean, it, in terms of the Red Dragon, it's almost a case of taking one of those cases of the week from the first or second season and going, right, let's, let's give this half a season to look at. Yeah. And I, I kind of understand the parallel because Hannibal... One of, the, one of the joys of Hannibal from the get-go is that the audience is aware what Hannibal is. And it's the evolution of his character in terms of how other people become more aware of him, the real him, mm-hmm. uh, throughout the series. And so when you get to this point, this build-up at the end of the third season, where all the cards are on the table, Hannibal has been incarcerated at this point, he's talking right, right at the end, he's, he, he, is, he escapes... Of course, and the Red Dragon, the evolution of the Red Dragon, the transformation, it doesn't have as much of an impact because it's it's all a bit of a red herring rather than a red dragon. It's 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 one big red herring because we we are reaching a conclusion whether, of course, this was intentional or not, because, of course, they didn't necessarily know that they were going to be returning for another series uh, at this juncture. But looking at how they tie up the story of the Red Dragon, it becomes highly apparent to me that it was all just a ruse, really, to get us to the point where Will and Hannibal can have 
the very symbolic bonding experience that they've needed to bring them together. I, I actually think that last third of the series is the least effective on a character level because I still like what happens in The Red Dragon. There's no part of the series I don't like, so it's not like it's a bad show in that last half of this third series, but I do think that it... It's got less to it in that la in that last section where in the Red Dragon art where previously, as I already said, every single sort of plot or character kind of had worked on several levels. They worked on the level within the plot. They worked as a character in their own right, as their own motivations or whatever. But they also represented something larger than them. You know, they represented a, a, a wider theme or a wider sort of aspect of personality that you, you know they're exploring in the in the main characters but in that last arc there's a lot less of that it really does feel more functional in fact i almost feel that because people often say that the first series i've heard people uh criticize the first series because it is more procedural it is more on a kind of like a you know case of the week but i think that is unfair because in the first series yes it is case of the week but it is elevated by first of all having this quite in depth, well, very in depth through line, obviously, with the whole relationship with Hannibal and Will. But also, I think it is elevated by the fact that it has all these these subplots and th or themes that are going on. You know, it has all the it is exploring all these different themes as it goes. By the by, that last part of the third series, I think that's a lot less. That's not so much the case, you know. A lot of the stuff that we're exploring at that stuff is stuff we've all, uh, at that stage is stuff we've already explored before. We've already looked. We've already been through what happens when Will gets into a case and starts, you know, immersing himself in that world. But we're getting a lot less stuff with Jack, uh, which I, I again is partly down to the fact that by that stage, um, what's his name, the actor? Um, what's What's Jack's? Uh, what's the Lawrence Fishburne. Lawrence Fishburne. By that stage, Lawrence Fishburne had obviously moved on to another. Uh, he'd moved on to another show, so we didn't have as much time. Um, so he's not in it as much. But I mean, he is a core character, uh, Jack, and yet we don't really see much of him at all in the. Uh, I certainly don't get much character development for him at all in the in the third series, second half of the third series, and it really does become a lot more. Just it is effectively just a procedural. Uh, really the red dragon plot you know there's a there's somebody they're trying to catch and then hannibal is playing games with them trying to you know lead them astray in their in their attempts to catch him but it's not telling us anything about it's not telling us anything new by and large about the characters we got maybe a bit about hannibal because we're seeing him in a new environment which we've not seen him in before but all the other characters are really just going through what we've been what they've been through before jack is behaving much as he behaved in the first series uh, um will is behaving largely as he was behaving in the first series um but admittedly but with a, a more detached attitude um but there's just it doesn't I, I it's still brilliant because it's still very well written and it still looks good and it's still you know it's still entertaining it's still very good but it does not i don't think it's as successful as the first two and a half series are because i just feel that it's just not as there's not as much going on basically <laughs> do you know what i mean it's much more superficial i think i suppose in the bigger scheme of things in terms of the way that it ended and in terms of the fact that it ended and we knew it wasn't necessarily going to come back. There wasn't. There was a thin chance uh, that well, it was going to Well, apparently, I think 
what I, for context, what actually was meant to, I think my, my understanding is that they didn't know they weren't going to get another series until the show was being broadcast. So it had all been filmed by that stage. So the ending of series three was not filmed. And I suppose we could talk about it because it's obviously spoilers. So uh, we obviously, they both fall off a cliff at the end. Um, and you might think, well, clearly they knew they weren't going to get another series at that stage. But even if they suspected that, they apparently did not know that for certain. They, you know, they certainly didn't, know that and they thought there was still a chance that they could get another series after that but they obviously were hedging their bets as they had done in the previous two series and it's only really it was only after it was being it was only a few weeks before that final episode was broadcast that they found out definitively or certainly that they announced definitively that it wasn't going to come back so yeah I, I don't think they did know when they filmed when they were writing that final arc or that that final episode even that it was definitely not going to be coming back I suppose in the bigger scheme of things, though, now that we know that what we know now, it, the uh, not, not so much absence, but the, the lack of Hannibal in the, that last part of the series in the same way, it kind of also emphasizes what Will is lacking in his life. It's, it's emphasizing what all these damaged people need in their life, and they need Hannibal there because of the effect that he's had on them at this point, he needs to be involved in in their lives. And so when Will and Hannibal are together at the end, Will realizes that he's never coming back from this. He's never going to be able to recover from any of this. Um, no matter what happens next, he is as far gone as he can go. And the fact that he gets stabbed in the cheek uh, is probably the closest we get to what the books describe as him being... The last we hear of him is him sort of living uh, as a fisherman, sort of disfigured. Disfigured, yeah. And if they had gone into a season four... Now, bearing in mind, of course, there is a post-credits sequence, a very brief sequence, where a lot of people have questioned this final scene in terms of what it actually means and, and who's waiting for who and what, what, mm. when, when is it set? And you see Bedelia at a table where she's sitting there and there are two empty seats and there is a big old leg, uh, ready to be eaten. Uh, it pans down and we see that it's her leg. And also we see that she's holding a fork down by her side. Mm. So we're left to believe a couple of things. First of all, was it not her then? That, uh, I, I believe um, Brian Fuller has confirmed that it wasn't her who cooked her own leg. No, she, he's confirmed that. And he's also confirmed that it was definitely something that happened after they fell off the cliff. So it's not something that happened before that. So, you know, it's not something that happened prior to them falling off. And maybe they did it before that or Hannibal did it before that. It, it is definitely something that's ha- meant to have happened after that. And the fact that it, and if she didn't do it, and the fact that the leg is still steaming at this point, <laughs> who survives? Who is alive? Well, okay, what so happens? let's. Uh, do, first of all, can I ask, do you actually even. I actually don't like that, the fact that they put that uh, at the end there. Because seeing as, by, as it was at that stage going to be a. It was going to be the last series, basically. I would have preferred if knowing. Uh, a few weeks beforehand that it wasn't going to be, you know, they weren't going to have any more episodes. I wish they had cut that final scene um, of her, because I feel like it does undermine what happens at the end with Will and Hannibal going off the thing. I would rather believe that maybe one of them survives, maybe both of them survive, although I think that's extremely stupid. Um, But 
I would rather not know what happens to them, you know? And the fact that we see that scene with Bedelia means that we know, I would say 100%, that one of them, likely Hannibal, survives. It is impossible, really. I mean, unless it... Well, I mean, it can, uh, the, that can only indicate that Hannibal survives, at least Hannibal survives. And I mean, so what do you... Do you feel like if they, if they had... Let's say it did come back for another series, for whatever reason, either, they, it, either it hadn't been cancelled or it got another series now on another channel or whatever... Would you want both of the characters to come back? How would you want... What would you want them to do in the... I don't mean literally what plot, but I mean, what do you... Would you like to have seen both characters come back or...? I think it would have made sense for Will to have died. Yeah, I definitely think that, yeah. I think Will... There's no turning back for Will at that point. No, and I I feel as well his story by that stage has been exhausted, (laughs) you know? I feel like that is the end of his story. I don't see how they could have continued it without it without the character of Will being so different that... I mean, there's talk... I mean, they've talked... I don't know how true any of this is, but, you know, there has been a little talk about what would have happened if maybe they got something like the rights to Clarice and maybe Clarice was hunting down Hannibal and Will or something. I don't know, but you could have done that. But my honest feeling is that they should have... That at that stage, if they ever had come back for another series, they should have just, as you say, just... Will has to have died. And maybe you could have him... Maybe Hannibal could still see images you know he could still picture will and he could still have conversations with will in his mind palace or anything like that he could have still done those sort of things but i don't think that that will should have still been alive at that stage because that was the of that was the logical end of it so how would he it wouldn't have even made sense if he had thrown himself off a cliff and then because he had not died he had gone right well in that case i've just tried to kill myself but i'm going to actually now join up with hannibal and go off with him you know it doesn't how yeah. would that would have made sense and it also wouldn't have made sense if he if he continued to try and fight Hannibal because we've seen that now we've seen that from every angle so i really i really would have hoped that they would have i think that would have been a, a big moment in terms of whether the show could have started to go downhill at that stage if they had if they hadn't killed uh will off uh, after having fallen off a cliff i mean <laughs> i could just about i believe that one of them might have survived but not not both Podnose Presents features one-off specials, limited series, and pilot episodes as part of Podnose, the UK's leading independent entertainment podcasting network. For episode archives of Podnose Presents and all of the shows on the network, visit us at www.podnose.com. You can also follow us on Twitter via at Podnose or send us an email via admin at podnose.com. Podnose.